All right. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to SaberSims DFS Office Hours. Uh, Thursday, September 28th here today. Uh, we've got a NFL showdown game on tap for tonight. Uh, the last legs of the MLB regular season here to talk about. Uh, got some great questions already in the Discord lined up here for today. Uh, as always, feel free to pop questions into chat as well. If you are uh, stumbling into office hours for the first time, uh, welcome. We do the show every Monday through Friday. Normally, it's Andrew. Uh, my name's Jordan. I'm the head coach here at SaberSim. Uh, Andrew runs this show most of the days here, but he is taking a uh, much-deserved vacation here uh, today, tomorrow, and Monday. So you'll have me on the show for the next few days. Uh, but this is an open Q&A style show where you can ask questions about SaberSim, uh, DFS strategy, uh, all that kind of stuff here. Uh, we'll walk through some builds talk about how to, you know, attack certain slates, set up certain rules the way you want, talk about some general DFS theory, all kinds of different stuff here. So uh, yeah, pop your questions into chat or in the Discord server, either is fine. I will kick things off here uh, and we'll we'll get to all the questions that came in overnight and this morning in Discord, and then we'll we'll slowly start working our way through the, uh, the live chat as well. So uh, let's go ahead and get into it here. Uh, we'll just go in order of these questions as they were coming in here. Um, first one, um, go ahead and grab this. Uh, this one, uh, rules rules question. How can I set a rule to not allow more than one pass catcher from a team without their QB? Yeah, good question. Comes up all the time here. Uh, we'll bounce over to the main slate and uh, do this here. A couple different ways you could go about doing this. Um, a very simple way is to just use the stack types themselves, right? Um, and in this case, we'd be primarily talking about the secondary stacks. So for football in particular, we kind of break up two different stack types. We got the primary stacks, secondary stacks. Primary stacks aren't going to be anything with a quarterback, right? So quarterback uh, plus two uh, with the line one means quarterback plus two pass catchers with one run back, right? The secondary stacks are combinations of players playing in the same game that don't include the quarterback in that particular case. So if you wanted to just say uh, never use a two players from the same team with no quarterback in it, right? We could do something like this, uncheck everything. Secondary two stack is two players from the same team with no quarterback in it, right? Secondary two one is two players from the same team with one player on the opposing side with no quarterback of either of those two teams in there. So this would be kind of a simple way of doing that. Uh, you can also do it with a group rule. Um, the group rule works as well here. Um, hang on, let me... Yep. Uh, group rule. Another option would be create a group um, and we would set this up here. And this would be basically a conditional. So what we're going to say here is if two players from the same team are used, two pass catchers, right? So we'll group this by team here and say if at least two players running back wide receiver or tight end on the same team are used, then you have to use the quarterback, right? Um, and the reason why you might want to use a group rule instead of doing it with the stacks here is you could, um, you can edit these, right? So if we go in and then save this as a manual rule, let's say there's a team on the slate we don't want this to apply to, right? Maybe there's like, sometimes you have a couple teams with high totals, right? Maybe you're okay playing two chargers from the same team without Justin Herbert, because, you know, you can imagine maybe a lineup that is like uh, a Jalen Hurts lineup. Uh, plus AJ Brown, but you've also got Keenan Allen and somebody else in there. Maybe that's a lineup that you're okay with. You can uncheck uh, the Chargers, for example, 
And then at that point, you're saying it's okay to use two chargers in the same lineup without Justin Herbert, but maybe you don't want two Cardinals in the lineup or something like that uh, without Josh Dobbs. So a couple different ways to do that. Very common question um, and a, a great place for us to, uh, to get started today. So let's keep it rolling. Get another question here. Um, this one here. Uh, okay. Yeah, let's do this one here. Next question. This is from the piano teacher. And yeah, I have a question about contest sim rankings. I've noticed that when I look at previous slates results, many times the risk adjusted ROI will pull better scoring lineups than the ROI. Uh, I've also noticed many times the risk adjusted on low stakes tourney will actually actually pull out my top lineup out of the pool of 5k. I want to know how to interpret this. Does this mean that even bigger, higher stakes tourney, we should bring in some lower stakes risk adjusted sim results? Yeah, I mean, my default honestly is to just use risk adjusted ROI as my main uh, sim metric here. I'll get a build going and a contest sim going here in the background so we can talk about this a little bit here. Uh, but I'm not surprised to hear that in general, the that risk adjusted ROI is producing higher scoring lineups on the average, right? Because that's kind of what risk adjusted ROI is designed to do, right? Uh, the way I always try to present this to people is think if you're thinking about ROI, lineups can gain their ROI in a handful of different ways. And if you imagine two different lineups that have the exact same ROI, they both have an ROI of 100%, for example, here. Um, let me get the contest sim going here so we can actually look at some of this. Let's get a quick oh, contest sim going. Okay. Um, let's say you have two lineups, right? They're both ROI of 100%. And that first lineup gets just hypothetically either first or last every single time. And it's ROI is 100%, right? What that actually means is it's coming in last a lot and maybe 0.1% of the time or something like that, it's getting first place and it's getting it's it's getting all of its profitability from that very rare occurrence of it getting first place, right? That lineup is probably not projected very well because 99% of the time it's not even cashing, right? Its average projection is not very high and it has some upside maybe because it's very low owned or very well correlated or something like that where, you know, if a lot of chalk fails on the slate, it has this outside chance to get first place. And lineup two maybe has some first place equity, but it also has some, you know, top 10% equity and some min cash equity. And it's still 100% ROI, right? But it has a higher probability of cashing. Its projected score is probably a lot higher. And that's kind of what risk adjusted ROI is trying to suss out. It's not just looking at the pure ROI of the lineup. It's considering how often does that lineup cash? How much does it win when it's cashing? And, and, and how often does that occur? But it's also comparing that against the downside of the lineup. So by using risk-adjusted ROI, you're, you're going to avoid a little bit of the additional downside that can come with just taking a pure ROI-based approach to analyzing lineups. And I, I am, I'm not surprised that you might see that lineups that have a higher risk-adjusted ROI relative to their ROI are, are outperforming based on the actual points scored, the lineups with pure ROI. Um, and we'll, we'll talk, I saw some other questions about this as well in the, the queue, um, you know, what, what sorting by ROI tends to look like in, you know, very top heavy contests or very small slates and things like that. So we'll talk a little bit more about this as we go along, but uh, a good question there. So, um, cool. Uh, this one, I had actually addressed this question in Discord earlier today. Oh, I realized my Discord is like kind of flashing on the screen here. 
for you guys. Let me move this so that doesn't happen here. Okay, try that instead. Uh, so I had talked about this here in Discord, but we'll, we'll bring it up on the screen, talk about it a little bit here. So uh, question says, in baseball, how can I set stacks of two teams pre-build, but limit the percentage of exposure to that rule? So if you want 10% of your 5-3 stacks with the Dodgers to be uh, Minnesota, um, there, there isn't really a great way to do this at the moment. Um, there was, and it was really finicky. And to be completely honest, just didn't work that well. So we, we took it out here. Um, what I would recommend instead um, is just making sure that you have the right exposure to those different teams in your pool as stacks, and then to diversify with min uniques. And that should end up meaning that you're kind of getting the right complexion of exposures that you want and probably at least approximately the right amount of combinations you want to your different stacks, or at the very least, you know that you are playing the portfolio of lineups that you had in mind diversified to the extent that you want, right? Um, like, I, I don't want to put words in the mouth of whoever asked this question here, but I, I think a lot of times rules like this are really coming from the place of wanting a nice, even spread out portfolio of lineups rather than it really being like, I just crystal ball know that it's Dodgers and twins tonight. Right. And if it is, you can lock those two teams in and, and go for it that way. But I think a lot of times these questions, the spirit of these questions is I want a diversified portfolio where I want my lineups, you know, spread out. And I don't want to be, I don't want all of my Dodger stacks to be the, the stacked up with the same team. And a lot of times the SIM diversity slider on its own does a good job of getting you there, but using min uniques to kind of smooth that out and bridge the gap can be a good way to do that. So um, for example, no twins on this slate, but let's say, you know, we want a certain amount of Dodgers and we want like kind of an even spread of these other teams here. So if we went ahead and set Dodgers equal to, I don't know, 50% of our lineups in our pool, right? And then we want to make sure that we're getting some Dodger stacks with these different teams here. You know, we could do 10% and 10% and 10%. Oops, there we go. And make sure we're kind of spreading out a little bit here. <clears throat> and then uh, increase the min uniques up a bit. And that is going to... Now, there is the chance of getting the, uh, the exposure message, right? One thing on the exposure message, I have been noticing here that sometimes it fires inadvertently. So it's a good thing to just quickly check. In this case, we're not reaching the desired exposures with Dodgers. So it might be a good time to rebuild the lineups using these now as a baseline, um, which will basically say, okay, now Sabersim knows we want 50% Dodgers and 10% of each of these stacks. But I think some combination of using min exposures plus min uniques plus rebuilding as needed as you're going through your process should let you generally smooth out those stack combinations in the way that you're you're looking for here. So um, another question here uh, on the, we'll bounce back to the showdown here for this one. Um, NFL showdown sim settings only have Saberson ownership as a field lineups option. Yeah. So we just haven't had really the chance to build out the uh, individual contest buckets for showdown contest sims. Um, I think the Saberson ownership is going to do a pretty good job of assessing uh, what the field is likely to look like in these different contests. I think the differences between different contest types in showdown 
amongst different stakes and entry limits is probably lower anyway, uh, with the exception of like maybe very small contests or very high stakes contests where there is going to be some differences there. Um, but I think, you know, especially thinking about buckets like low stakes 20 max versus low stakes MME, those are already very close buckets anyway. I think on showdown, they're probably even closer. So I think uh, the, the Saber some ownership is going to do a pretty good job there. We do in general have a lot planned for showdown uh, field lineups, period. Right. There are some limitations there with the size of the field being 5000 lineups, um, the, the calculation of dupes and, and really accurately accounting for duplication with a 5000 lineup pool is, is a little bit tricky. So, <clears throat> excuse me, um, more is coming there. Um, but for now, I do think that the Sabersim ownership contest bucket does a pretty good job for most relatively larger field contests, like anything over a thousand definitely over 5,000 lineups across multiple different stakes and things like that. So cool. I see a couple questions trickling in here in chat. I'm going to rip through these discord messages here and then we'll get over to the live chat. Um, good question here from hammer. Uh, this spawned off an interesting discussion uh, as well in discord. Um, but this one says, Hey coaches, I've noticed that when looking, uh, especially with the winning lineups, these, uh, the SIMRI was negative. Does that mean the line, was not did not consider it if we were to use roi greater than zero you would have filtered that lineup out um what do we need to do to make sure we're not missing these potential winning lineups yeah so roi is identifying roi in the contest sim is identifying the lineups that were uh the most profitable over a 100,000 sample size simulation of the slate uh, there's no guarantee that those lineups are going to cash or certainly not a guarantee that those lineups are going to be the winning lineup on any given slate. They are simply the most profitable lineups should the slate have played out, uh, you know, in this case, 50,000 times, right? So it's it's not a guarantee uh, that a positive ROI lineup is going to win on any given slate. And in fact, it's probably unlikely that a positive ROI lineup is going to win on any given slate, given that most of the lineups entered into contests are minus EV. And that's a good thing because that's where our profits come from uh, when we're playing DFS, right? We want a lot of the field to play negative ROI lineups, but those lineups have a chance to win, right? Um, they, they, assuming you're playing a pool of players with a relatively enough high salary and projection in the lineup, those lineups have some win equity. So you're going to see that sometimes. Um, I think Ben in Discord said it best. Um, he said, if you're familiar with poker, think about folding a bad hand before the flop, you may see the flop and the hand you folded may have hit trips, or in this case, that's like a minus EV lineup winning, but it doesn't make the fold bad. It's correct to fold bad hands, i.e. not play minus EV lineups before you see the results. And I think that's, that's said perfect, right? Um, so the, the goal here is to play the lineups that if this slate were to play out over and over and over again, are the most profitable over the long term. We unfortunately can't guarantee that they're going to be profitable on any given slate. You can see, I mean, win rate, right? The sum of all of the pro profitable win rate lineups in your pool are like going to be a very small percentage period, right? Just playing profitable lineups by no means guarantees that you bank. And you can see even the cash rate on some of these, right? 31%, these lineups are going to to not even hit the cash line pretty often, but they are profitable played over the long term. So really good question, uh, really important one to, to grasp here. Um, so I will uh, add on to that real quickly here um, with a question from, from Vegas Golf Fanatic here as kind of a follow-up. Um, 
if negative ROI lineups are winning regularly, what exactly is the purpose of contest sims and what results are we looking for? Um, I know I have that question anyway. Yeah. So again, I think the right way to think about this is uh, a lot of the lineups in your contests are going to be negative ROI, right? Those are a lot of the profit or our expected profit or our expected value in DFS comes from bad players that are taking up spots in the lineup that are paying the entry fees, paying the rate by playing lineups that if they continued their strategy over the long term, they would not be profitable. But the sum of all of those lineups, their win equity that they have in the contests means that there's a fairly decent chance that on any given slate, a, a unprofitable long-term negative EV long-term lineup might win. Right. And that is, okay and to be expected what the purpose of the contest sims are is to identify the lineups we can't actually play this game out a hundred thousand times tonight right this game is going to be played once and this is kind of the problem with like dfs historically in general is you are trying to make projections or predictions of what is the profitable way to play a slate with a very limited sample size of of nfl games right and try to determine what the optimal strategy is, right? You could look at, you could go back and look at historically Packers versus Lions games, but that sample size is small and it doesn't necessarily perfectly tell you what the optimal strategy is for this game tonight, right? Or you could just look at what have the Packers done this season so far? What have the Lions done this season? And all these things kind of have problems in terms of translating that into what is the optimal strategy for this slate? Boy, Contest Sim allows you to at least proxy the idea of this game playing out a hundred thousand times what if this game did play out a hundred thousand times what would be the best lineups in that sample that's what the contest sim is designed to do because just looking at what the lineup is that won the contest for any sport or any given slate only conveys so much information and it's it's not very much information at all and even looking at lineups that finish in the top one percent of a contest right is still there's only so much information conveyed in there the contest sims are really a way of thinking about them is they are designed to solve the sample size problem of a slate being only played out one time uh, by playing that slate out in a simulation a hundred thousand times and seeing what worked. Um, so I think that's a, that's a good question. Um, cool. So yeah, I mean, this is a great question to jump into next. And there is some some additional conversation on like that kind of stuff in the Discord here um, in the Office Hours channel. So if you're interested in reading more, um, Sacrilegious has a really good um, perspective on that as well. I like like his comment. So I uh, definitely go check that out. But uh, another one, uh, I have a question regarding contest sims. This happens all the time, but I'll give a practical example. Building lineups for the early MLB slate. If sorting by Saber score, I get mostly what you would expect, a mix of the highest projected teams. If I sort by SIM ROI, I immediately get 100% Oakland and St. Louis, by far the lowest projected teams. Please help me to understand how to balance that or have more faith in playing these extremely high-risk lineups. Thanks. Yeah, so um, I before I kind of jump into this, I will call out uh, the pro video, uh, the one that Matt and I did most recently. It's in the pro videos channel in Discord. If you're on a pro or ultimate plan, you have access to that channel. Uh goes really deep into kind of the idea of risk management when it comes to contest simming your lineups and sorting by ROI, um, because you are hitting on a really important point here um, that at the most basic level, sorting by ROI for lineups can often be a high, very high variance approach, especially in very small slates or very top heavy contests. So let's build some lineups here and take a look at this particular slate. 
But again, what's happening behind the scenes here, right? Um, and I might have the wrong slate here, but this will do just fine. Oakland's on the slate, right? 3.3 runs. What I would expect to happen is when we run this contest, M2 get quite a bit of Oakland stacks here. And the reason that that's really happening here is that when we are running the contest sim, we are taking each lineup in the pool and we are putting it in a simulation of this slate, right? So one simulation occurs and we see, okay, what, what happens in that simulation? Fantasy points are assigned, payout structures and payouts are assigned to that lineup and we score how those lineups worked in that one simulation, right? We do that process 100,000 times. And then we repeat that process for each lineup in your pool. Well, as a contest gets top heavier and top heavier, and there's only there's more and more of the payout goes to first place, uh, and as there are fewer and fewer teams and games on the slate, and the ownership is condensing more and more on the best plays, the relative value of low owned plays with upside here starts to increase more and more. Right, the lineups that you have with Diamondbacks stacks are not getting paid out what they are due when the Diamondbacks are having the upside outcome because they are competing with a ton of lineups in the field that also have Diamondback stacks, right? The Diamondbacks lineups almost have to get more and more right. But an easier path to first place where a lot of the equity is in the contest is a Oakland A's stack where it is a rarer outcome of, a, of occurring when the A's are the optimal stack, but they are getting paid out more and they are their ROI as higher as a result because on the slates where the A's stack is the nuts, it's competing with far fewer lineups. It's path to first place is a lot more open because there, there's less competition there. So let's run this contest sim here. I want to kind of see my hunch is that um, the Oakland A's are going to show up overwhelmingly here. And again, it's because the contest sim is seeing that when the A's have those that upside outcome, it's its path to first is less cluttered. There's less lineups it's also competing with in the field. So let's flip this over here. We'll look at uh, risk-adjusted ROI and see um, here come the A's, 100% A's and 70% White Sox, right? So it's basically kind of taking like a double underdog approach in the builds here, right? And that is, again, that's Saberson saying, yeah, this is a lower projected team that performs worse on average, but its ROI is coming from these top 0.1% outcomes where the A's are the team you need and you are getting, you know, guys at 4% owned on a two-game baseball slate, and this is exaggerated on small slates because the, oppor the, the opportunity cost is the other players on this slate are 40% owned, right? On slates that are 14 MLB slates, 14 MLB games, you won't see this as much, right? This will, the, the effect of this will be a little bit lessened because rather than having to drop to the 3.3 implied run total A's to get leverage on the field, you can drop from the 7.5 implied run total Dodgers to the 5.9 implied run total Astros and still get a lot of leverage there, but play a team that's better projected overall, right? Um, I wanted to quickly look here as well. One way that can kind of help show this a little bit here, I think, is looking at like 95th percentile outcomes here. And you can kind of see where some of the equity of these lineups comes in, right? Like it's easy to look at 3.3 runs for the A's, 5.5 for the Diamondbacks and say, why am I not getting any Diamondbacks? But when you start to look at what the upside outcomes look like for individual players, you can see that like a lot of these guys here have similar high upside outcomes, right? There are going to be simulations 
where the A's do have that that upside, right? That that you know high upside game, or or they're just the best team amongst the four teams you have to choose on this two game slate. Um, so that's kind of the why. But there is a very interesting practical question of like, okay, what should I do about this, right? Because this is going to be a very high variance approach, right? But even risk adjusted ROI here, this is going to, this is saying, if you are playing this slate out 100,000 times, this is the most profitable way to play this slate. But you can play this kind of strategy over and over and over again, even over the period of, you know, if you played uh, a slate like this 30 days in a row, that's only 30 samples, right? you could be down that entire month and this really have never paid off depending on the way that the actual games play out and still just be a tiny drop in the pond of the 100 samples that the single contest simulation gives you, right? This is, this is a risky approach and it's increasingly risky to play like this, even though it is profitable, the smaller that the, the slate gets and the top heavier the, the contests are. So a couple of things that I recommend, one is just, diversifying, right? Rather than taking an all-in approach to say, I'm playing the most profitable lineups by ROI in 100% of my builds, to say, I'm going to sacrifice some raw ROI to play a more diversified portfolio. Um, one thing that I've been doing a lot here is first just setting a filter to filter out any lineups that aren't expected to be profitable at all, just so I have that baseline. And I know I'm not like sneaking in lineups that are unprofitable in the sim. So we can do that like this here. And we see we have about 3,500 lineups in the pool to work with. And just kind of stress testing the min uniques and seeing, you know, how high can I start to increase the min uniques? And a lot of times, even with like four min uniques is only taking us down to lineup. It's taking us down to lineup 302 in our pool. It's still a profitable lineup. It grades out, you know, 141% SIMROI, 170% risk adjusted ROI. But we start to relax some of the kind of intensity of that top 20 lineup sorted purely by ROI, right? And yes, you are sacrificing some theoretical ROI here, but you might be getting lineups that maybe you're, you're getting a more diversified portfolio. So you're less all in on any given play. And you might be floating more lineups in that have a higher cash rate to kind of smooth out your ranges of outcomes here, right? These two lineups are very similar to one another looking, right? They're both, they're very similar ROI overall. And you can see this lineup has a cash rate of 29.4%. This lineup has a cash rate of 17%, right? So you're kind of getting different types of lineups in your pool as you're increasing the min uniques here. Um, and what I've literally been doing here is just kind of stress testing this and see like, okay, so I can't set it. I can't set min uniques equal to six and still get 20 lineups back. So if I set it equal to five, right? How far down does that, that push? And one thing that could be useful is setting this to the compact lineups mode. Um, and the way I've been kind of doing this is throw in a couple of these metrics that might be useful for you here. Uh, maybe the stack is useful. And then the, the risk adjusted ROI and the ROI. And I'll kind of play with min uniques and see like, where are some of the big breakpoints with min uniques in my build, right? Where do I start to see big drop-offs and kind of find that nice balance of exposures I like, I'm still playing profitable lineups and um, I'm diversifying my pool. So especially very much, especially on small slates and very top heavy contests, this is something to be aware of. I posted a message um, in the discord the other night of my lineups here uh, 
on uh, the Dodgers Rockies showdown, right? The Dodgers have been in Coors Field the past couple of days here, and they're, you know, most nights having a run total of like six to eight runs. And I've been building my lineups for that showdown, running my contest sim, and pretty much night after night, the contest sims are saying the most profitable way to play this slate is to stack the Rockies and also to use the Rockies pitchers and to basically fade a lot of the Dodgers bats. And again, what's happening there is the sim is saying, yeah, the Dodgers in a lot of our simulations are going to have very, they're going to score a lot of runs, but the, that space in your contest is so competitive because there's so many people stacking the Dodgers that it's more profitable to play the Rockies pitchers and, and stacks and things like that. And kind of realize all of your profit there on the slates where that works, right? We almost had it last night. I think the Dodgers had one run through five, five innings. Um, but anyway, I posted this this picture in Discord the other night where all of my lineups, I think I had, I played like 12 lineups into my contest and I think they were, they might have been the bottom 12 lineups in the contest because I was so condensed on Rocky stacks and the Rockies pitchers and things like that. And that, that can happen. Um, again, it, as that slate gets smaller, you're talking about single game showdown slate. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more and more exaggerated there. So anyway, let's let's move on. Uh, talk about this one a bunch um, and keep it rolling here. Um, so uh, if you're only building one lineup for the Millie Maker, should be using the Sim or the Optimizer option. I would say that really you should be using the Sim option almost no matter what, assuming you're building for a GPP. Um, the SIM option is is using the most powerful parts of SaberSim. It is using our play-by-play -play game simulations. It is accounting for correlations. It is dynamically adjusting those variables for different contest sizes. So you can you know put something in like for the Millie Maker and get the right settings for that particular contest. You're going to be playing and building competitive lineups right out of the gate. So I would use the SIM optimizer option, or I would use the SIM mode option 99% of the time. Uh, the optimizer mode option here is really, it's available for two different things. First is cash games, right? In cash games, you want to play the highest projected lineups possible. Optimizer mode will do that. No questions asked. That's the easiest way to use it. Uh, the other reason why you might want to use optimizer mode is if, especially if you are coming to SaberSim from a traditional optimizer, like Fantasy Cruncher or Fantasy Labs or some other tool, uh, SaberSim is very different, right? I think it's much better than other traditional optimizers because it knows what makes a good GPP lineup by using play-by-play -play simulations to power those lineups, right? That is kind of the, the reason for SaberSim. Uh, but if you've been playing DFS for a while and you want to check out SaberSim and maybe you want to check out the contest sims and you have something that kind of works well already on Fantasy Cruncher uh, or a different optimizer out there, the optimizer mode can be a way to kind of rebuild that process in SaberSim while you get a chance to get familiar with the sims. So it brings back some more familiar settings uh, like min uniques pre-build. So you can set min uniques ahead of time. Uh, we have randomness options um, where you can set uh, a kind of flat global randomness option or uh, use a normal distribution for players. Um, I think I can't, FC calls this like uh, advanced randomness or something like that, where you can specify the standard deviations for players and build kind of a normal distribution. There's a lot of different things that you can do here in the optimizer mode that more or less allows you to port over a process from a traditional optimizer into SaberSim. But for the average person, assuming you want to use SaberSim to its fullest extent, I would recommend using Sim mode. Um, there, there could be a little bit of a learning curve there to just get familiar with it because it's it's different, uh, but it, it's it's a lot better. So, um, cool. 
All right. Um, good question here. Uh, bonus office hours question. Now that contest sims have been out for a while now, any tips for showdown slates? Yeah, so, I mean, this is... If there's going to be a, a contest type or a slate type where there is the most value out of doing other stuff above and beyond just building the lineups and running the contest sims and playing the top ROI lineups, it's probably showdown. Um, and it's particularly probably showdown from the standpoint of analyzing dupes, right? Um, we have a kind of a basic approach to uh, accounting for duplication right now in the um, the uh, the showdown model, right? Um, what it is what it is doing this this uh, dupe score, right? We have this field, five thousand lineups in the field, and we're simulating your lineups against that field. So we're going to have a sense already of what lineups are likely to be duped in that 5,000 lineup field. And a lineup that is duped frequently in our field of 5,000 when you come, when you contest sim it out is going to be punished in its ROI because it's sharing the prizes to first, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, when that lineup is optimal. So we're accounting for duplication at kind of a, a basic level. And we're planning on expanding this with larger and larger fields and a couple other features that we're, we're working on here. But the dupes don't translate perfectly well when you're scaling up and imagining a contest of 230,000 lineups, right? Or even 50,000 lineups, right? That not only are lineups that are duped in our contest sim going to be duped a lot more, but there's lineups that aren't duped at all in our contest sim that are actually going to be duped a little bit here. Um, this does start to get into kind of an advanced kind of strategy thing where I'm not going to be able to just hand over like a one size fits all do this and you'll pick up duplication in a much more sophisticated way. Accounting for duplication is, is challenging, right? But I think that's the place I would go to when thinking about your NFL showdown strategy. And a couple things that I think are interesting to look into is, is one, accounting for duplication here above and beyond the way that the contest sim accounts for it, right? Maybe filtering out some of the most duplicated lineups in your pool period, because a lineup that is duped, let's see, like maybe five times in our contest sims might be duped or three times might be duped a hundred times in the contest, right? And we might grade that lineup as positive ROI when it is duped three times in a contest of 5,000, but that lineup might be negative EV or minus ROI in a contest of 100,000 entrants when it is duped 100 times, right? Um, I think you can also try to expand on the way that we are accounting for dupes here by looking at salaries, right? Lineups that are very high salary, that very cleanly fit all the players into the lineup might even be more likely to be duped than our dupe score is accounting for there. Or lineups that are projected very highly uh, by average projections might be lineups that traditional optimizers are more and more likely to give. So I think using, if you want a direction to go with your NFL showdown process to add on to the contest sims and, and add some value there, I would think about what are some ways to uh, improve the way that duplication is accounted for in the contest sim by using the filters and custom metrics to account for things maybe like the dupe score itself, the average projection, um, and the, the salary of the lineups. Um, and I might come back to this question here a little bit if we have some time towards the end of the show. I want to make sure I get to everybody. This is kind of, there's a bit of a rabbit hole. We could talk about this for a long time, but if we have a little time towards the end of the show here, um, maybe we'll, we'll kind of give some examples of that. But I want to get caught up 
and uh, answer all these other questions here. So um, let's see from Sammy here. If I run the builder and I've reserved 150 max, 20 max, three max and single entries in the new 3.0 Sims, do we need to run one per selection considering I'll also be running contest Sims or can I just run 150 and then switch each contest and just modify the number of lineups, which will be the preferable way to approach them? Okay. I get what you're asking. Um, I think, so this is a good question. Um, what I have in general recommended, and this is a little bit different for showdown and this is a little different for showdown and main slates for, for showdown. I think it's easiest to almost just group everything you're playing together. Um, the, the, differences between strategy across different contest sizes and entry limits for showdown does not really change that much. Assuming you're talking about contests that are at least like a hundred, a thousand entrants, right? You're ultimately looking to build the optimal lineup here. And you can even see like, as we're changing these settings here for the build for these different contest types, right? We kind of bounce around. Nothing's really changing here. And the reason why is because Saber Sims, like let's just build the optimal lineup for single game Sims across all of these. And in my experience running contest sims, also accounting for the fact that we don't even have different field lineups for these different contests, you'll find that similar lineups tend to show up as the optimal lineup for different payout structures in, in your contest sims most of the time. So for showdown, I've just grouped everything together. Um, for main slates, what I have been doing and what I typically am recommending is to do two different groups and to group your 150 max and 20 maxes into one kind of pile and build and contest sim and your single entries and three maxes into another one. Um, the payout structures are different enough and the sizes of the contests are different enough and the strategies there are different enough that I think it is worth breaking those two up or at least experimenting with running a build that is your like large field MME stuff and your single entry and three max stuff. And building lineups for those separately and simulating those two in your contest sims separately. Um, that is a little bit of a question of personal process, right? Like how granular you want to get. Ultimately, the more granular you get with your build and contest sims, the more micro edges of perfectly simming those lineups for the contest they're being played into, you're going to gain, but you are going to lose there in the form of one, making your process a little bit more bulky and it'll take a little bit longer to do. And you're also going to lose some ability to really diversify your builds, right? You can't, if you run a build for a 150 max contest in another, in one build contest sim it there, and then run another 20 max contest in a different build and contest sim it there, you're going to be playing the best possible lineups into both of those contests, but they might be very similar lineups and you don't have a great tool to diversify two builds from each other. So that's kind of the tug of war that you kind of have to decide there. I think a nice middle ground is 150 and 20 max in one pile, single entry and three max in the other pile. But the, the, the give and take that you're making is how precisely do I want to build and sim my lineups for the contest they're going into versus how valuable is the time it takes for me to get through my process? And also um, how much do I want lineups played into similar contests to be diversified from one another? Um, and that really will depend a little bit on your your personal tolerance there. Um, but as we just saw, looking at like a two game MLB slate, right? There's a lot of value to being diversified, right? If you're if you had if you had split up all of your different builds for this two game MLB slate and sorted everything by ROI, you might be playing very similar lineups across all of your entries, and it might have been more valuable to 
combine those and diversify a little bit more. So um, this is kind of a hard, I, I'm explaining this and not really doing a lot on screen because it's hard to like quickly get all of these different builds up and simmed and walk through this. So if you have follow-up questions or if I'm confusing you, let me know. Um, and I would also, again, highly recommend the pro video in the pro videos Discord channel because it goes into these kinds of concepts there as well in a little bit more detail. So, um, cool. Uh, all right, cool. We'll get to the live chat here in a second. A couple more questions in Discord. Um, how do you integrate contest sims and the new tools into your personal process? Um, I would highly recommend um, checking out uh, this video on our YouTube channel. Can you guys see that? So I have this NFL course, worked pretty hard on this at the start of the season, continuing to add on to this. I did a video with Will talking about our NFL model updates yesterday. Um, but this video here, Contest Sims, your NFL secret weapon, that is literally the way that I've incorporated Contest Sims into my NFL process. And it kind of ports over similarly to baseball. Um, the, the fundamental, like if I could boil that down to one sentence of what I am doing, is I have just started treating risk-adjusted ROI as the best possible sorting method there is to a given contest, right? Just a much improved Sabre score. And otherwise I'm still doing my process outside of that. So I'm doing some research into the slate. Um, I'm, you know, in showdown, I might be trying to still uh, add some value to avoid dupes, right? Um, I might be setting uh, some rules to get lineups that look a little bit more the way I want. In MLB, I'm still looking at weather, right? I'm still doing all of the other things I've talked about in a bunch of my videos on our YouTube channel and just letting risk-adjusted ROI kind of be the best identifier for what the best lineup is to play. Um, so when it comes to my actual process, I, I run my build, I get my entries file loaded, I create my contest sim, and then when the build's done, I run the contest sim. I sort by risk-adjusted ROI, and then I do the other things that I've kind of always done. If you want to actually watch that happen, again, this video is a really good resource here. Um, so um, Permastunt said, uh, will the new updates also be available for college football? That is a good question. I assume you're talking about the new NFL sim updates we made. Um, if you're not talking about that, everything else, yes, is available for college football. Contest sims, um, all that stuff, that's that's all already there. I don't know if the, I will have to ask if the NFL like play-by-play -play sim update we pushed earlier this week uh, is on the college football sim as well. That's a good question. So I will follow up on that and post in the Office Hours channel. Um, if you haven't watched it already and you like the technical side of simulations and DFS strategy and, and NFL DFS, check this video out. So good. Will is such a smart guy. Um, really fun to talk to him. He worked really hard on this update to the NFL Sims that we pushed yesterday. Um, the front end updates when we add new features and, and, you know, make visual updates to the app, it's always very obvious when that happens and you can go and play with the new feature and see how it works with the Sim updates it's a little bit more behind the curtain and it's kind of hard to know um, like what changed? Why is that good? How does that help me? And Will's just very sharp and articulate in, in explaining this stuff. So if you like learning more about the Sims and how things are working behind the scenes, you got to check this video out. So 
Um, cool. All right, let's uh, let's get over to the live chat here. Thank you for your patience, everyone that has been asking questions there. Um, Peter said, I watched the showdown video. Should I leave in 200 salary players after the builder excludes? Seems like it's freeing up salary. Yeah, so that's an interesting one. Um, so I, a lot of times, those, those players are interesting because a lot of times they are the ways that you can get a little bit different on a slate is by taking a shot on a guy that is very low salary and scores. I know there's been two primetime games already this season where Saberson in particular liked uh, a um, low salary guy that ended up getting in the end zone and we like crushed that particular slate, the opening night slate with Rishi Rice um, for the Chiefs. And then the other night, I can't remember what it was, but the Giants, I think it was Giants uh, 49ers and uh, Ronnie Bell scored. And he was like another really low salary guy that we just like loved, right? All these guys down here, it's it's hard to kind of know, you know, how much like are these good plays? Because sometimes on the flip side, they're not even, they might not even get on the field or they might like have one target and score zero. It's hard to know exactly how much to, to play them. I typically like to leave them in my pool and play them um, when they are are popping up. Uh, one tool that you can use here is the pool exposure, right? And I use pool exposure sometimes to kind of approximate about how often is that player showing up in the winning lineup. So Malik Heath right here, right? 0.33 uh, projection, uh, 200 salary, right? He is getting in lineups because his 99th percentile is a 6.3, right? Maybe one pass catches the ball, scores a touchdown, something like that, right? So he's going to show up in some optimals. Uh, I use the pool exposure as a little bit of a guide for me of how much exposure do I want to some of these, these guys here, right? How often are they actually showing up in the optimal lineup? Um, and, you know, would you take a, would you take a shot on a guy in one of your 150 that has a 3% chance to be in the optimal lineup? Maybe. Um, but if you were getting 10%, right, then how much of it? exposure do you want? Um, I think that's kind of the way I often think about it is using pool exposure here as a, a proxy to figure out how much exposure do you want to some of these very low projected guys? How often are they actually showing up in that optimal lineup? How much does it make sense to, to roster them there? Um, one of the other things that I think can be very cool about the contest Sims in particular is without the contest Sim, you kind of have to guess a lot more right? Like you might say, well, I don't want to roster any of these guys. Is that profitable? And without the contest Sims, it's kind of like, well, maybe I hope so. Right. I'm, I'm going to just assume that it's okay. If I just cross off uh, some of these like very low projected guys from my pool with the contest Sims, you can actually, Oh, that's kind of weird. With the contest Sims, you can actually like just see it, right. You could just start unchecking guys here. Um, and see what impact does that have on the ROI of my lineups, right? Let's go here and see as we are crossing out some of these guys here, how much am I sacrificing at like the bottom end of my pool, right? Let's say I just don't want to play any of these really low projected guys, right? What is that actually doing to the bottom end of my pool? And you'll see little by little, we're going to slowly push further and further into the pool as these players are eliminated here. And it, it lets you know more for sure that you are still within the bounds of playing the slate in a profitable way. So if you don't want to play these kinds of guys in there, you can just kind of X them out and see that the lineups are still good. Um, but 
overall, to sum this up in like one point, I'm generally pretty much fine with those guys in showdown. Um, as long as they're projected here and we expect them to be at least be on the field, you're playing a large contest of maybe tens or hundreds of thousands of lineups and trying to build the optimal football lineup. Give me the, the, give me the 3% shot on Tucker craft to fall into the end zone. So, uh, Miguel said, uh, I can't seem to find the late swap option anymore. Has it been removed? How can I generate late swap lineups for a slate in progress? Um, you can right click on a build and create a late swap build from that build you are looking at there, or there will be an option in the, um, let's see, do I have an entries file anywhere here? There'll be an option in contests as well. Um, for late swap but it's it's once a slate is in progress is when it shows up so it will show up hang on up here well let me get an entry file um it will show up up here as a late swap build but it's only for an in, in progress build so or in progress slate i'm sorry um, AK said, hi, we, hi, Jordan, how would you advise the approach of sorting by 95th percentile and looking at ownership to give a little bump to those who are going under-owned a bit in showdowns such as tonight? Uh, been trying this approach in MMA and tennis and just checking it out. It's been an interesting way to check out the slates. Yeah, I, so I've recommended that for years, really, um, as a way to kind of do some game theory-based research and also to just... I think it's helpful sometimes for people even to just see that and get familiar with the idea of how wide the ranges of outcomes are and how inefficient ownership can be. Um, so looking at, let's create a new build here. But this is also kind of the same. If you've been watching my videos for a while, you're probably familiar with the idea of research builds. This is kind of similar to that. The idea being, you know, you can look at the 95th percentile outcome. Let's do wide receivers in particular here and compare the high upside of different players against the ownership and to start to see where the leverage opportunities on the slate exist. And sometimes it comes from salary, right? Why is Justin Jefferson as the third highest 95th percentile? Why does he clearly look like an ownership like valley here at 5% owned? Well, in this case, it's probably salary, right? The field is looking at Keenan Allen, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs as, as all guys with similar projections, similar 95th percentile outcome. You have to pay 9600 for Justin Jefferson. Well, if Justin Jefferson ends up scoring 41 and these other guys have their 85th percentile outcome, you're going to wish that you had Justin Jefferson and you've got him at 5% owned. So you, you mentioned tennis or MMA. I, I think this is fine for those sports as well. Um, they're in, in tennis and MMA, the one thing to be aware of is what you are probably going to find looking at this kind of analysis is every underdog is under-owned, which is true but it doesn't necessarily mean in a lineup of six underdogs is the optimal way to play the slate, right? There's a balance here as well. In the same way that for football, you wouldn't necessarily want to build a lineup that is sorely under projected, packed full of all the guys that are under owned, right? It's kind of like a balance of mixing guys in here or there, but I think it's a great way to get familiar with this kind of concept and think about what are some of the low owned plays that might present on the slate. Um, Saber score and the contest sims are going to do a good job of kind of accounting for this in a organic way, um, and balancing that accordingly. But I think this is a good way to look into this and maybe to start your research process, right? Like I think just right off the bat, 
Justin Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb look like interesting targets to me for this particular week because it looks like there's going to be this big ownership discount on, a, on guys that have similar upside to other players kind of in that range. So, yeah, I think that can be useful. Um, cool. Uh, how do I build a field of lineups to use with Sims using my own ownership projections? Good question. Um, let's do a demo because this one is useful. I think you, you really just have to see this once and then you kind of get it. So let's grab, um, some ownership projections to use here. So just a sec here. I am uh, downloading our adjusted ownership so I can re-upload them as ownership projections so you guys can actually see this live here. Okay. Okay. So let's say we have ownership projections. And there they are. And we'll just call this test. Okay, so these are our custom ownership projections. So first of all, these because this question often comes alongside the custom projections, right? How do I make contest sims listen to my custom player projections? You don't have to do anything special for that. The contest sims automatically listen to your custom projections. So if you're uploading a set from a different model or making manual tweaks or something like that, the contest sims naturally incorporate the player projections that you're using. Uh, it's not necessarily the same for the ownership projections. The main reason being the fields that you select as your field lineups in your contest sim are already built. They update every time we update our ownership projections, but they don't update automatically if you upload a set of custom projections, right? There is no field lineup set associated with this test ownership I just uploaded but there can be, right? The way you would want to do that is making a build in SaberSim based on your ownership projections. And you do that with this match exposure to ownership button here. So when you do this, it'll give you an option to say, how close do you want us to try to get? Um, frankly, I wouldn't go smaller than these bounds because this is about as close as we can reliably get. But if we do this here, we'll set every player's exposure to within 15% of their ownership projection. Now we can build out a field. And we can build and we can say, you know, maybe I'm building for a really large 150 max. Um, you can set any other groups or rules or anything like that that you want here in terms of determining what that field actually looks like uh, and build some lineups. And it will now build a field of 5,000 lineups where every player in the pool needs to get within 15% of the custom ownership projection that you built. Um, this will take a second to run, especially kind of parsing all of those different exposures. But now once this build is done, you can select this build as your field lineups to use in a contest sim for a different build. So that's kind of the process is your, you upload the custom ownership, you match your min and max exposure to the ownership projection, uh, and then set this new build as the field to be used in your contest sim elsewhere. Right. So that's kind of the idea. Um, let me know if that helps, if that's clear. Uh, it can be a little confusing the first time you go through it, but pretty pretty straightforward um, once you've seen it once. One thing that I do want to mention here is, um, let's let this finish because we're, we're there's, it's going, we're going to get an error message here. I'm sure of it. 
and it's okay. But I want to I want to show the error message here. Here it comes. There it is. Unable to meet exposures. Your lineup pool cannot meet your requested exposures. Uh, don't fret about that. Uh, the reason that you are seeing that is because this build is still kind of like a, a normal Saberson build. So it's pulling up 20 lineups. And Saberson's like, almost every single player in the pool right now has a min exposure set. And Saberson's like, I can't give you 20 lineups with minimum exposure set to every single player in the pool. The important thing is your pool exposure, which you will see will get very close. It should be right in between or very close to all of these min and max exposures, right? So we told Saberson, Keenan Allen needs to come in between 28 and 38. He came in at 32. Uh, Puka Nakua needs to come in between 19 and 26. He came in at 22, right? So the pool exposures, your pool is ultimately what's used in the contest sim here. And if that looks good, it's good. Right. There's going to be some discrepancies there. DJ Chark came in a little bit under the min exposure of 2.9, but it's it's close, especially with some of the guys at the very bottom. It can it can come out a little bit on either side of that, but it, it'll get very close. And the last thought I have on this, um, you know, another thing that's to, to look for and to kind of just like spot check is the stack types. Right. This ended up being 21.4 percent uh, QB, no QB stacks. That might be a little high for making a representative field of what the field's likely to do. I don't think one in every five are not going to stack a quarterback. Um, so could be a situation where maybe you give this another shot, but this time you crank up the correlation slider and try to get a little bit more correlation in there. Or maybe you just, you know, maybe uncheck that stack type and just say, I'm going to, it's it's not going to be perfect because obviously some people in my contest are not going to use a quarterback stack, but it's not a lot. And I'm going to remove that. So as you're going through the process of building fields out, um, you can kind of, iterate and continue to rebuild until that field's getting more and more dialed in. So uh, if a player's projected ownership is lower than his adjusted ownership, does that mean that Saberson does not think that player has great value projected lower than adjusted? Um, yeah. As a, as a very general rule, that's, that's like basically what adjusted ownership is, is saying. Um, the way I kind of think about adjusted ownership is it is based on that player's performance in the game simulations. What does that player's ownership actually count as, right? So Keenan Allen, for example, he is projected to be in 29.86% of lineups. We are saying that based on how he tends to perform in the simulations, rostering Keenan Allen it is as if his ownership counts as 32.99% ownership because his variance is probably a little bit too high for how often the field is rostering him, right? So it is, yes, true in a very general sense that if a player's adjusted ownership is higher than their actual ownership projection, we are saying that they are roughly over-owned relative like to their performance in the Sims. And you can kind of see the discrepancies at different positions here, right? Like uh, Miles Sanders adjusted ownership, very similar to their actual ownership, right? Probably fairly owned, but the Browns defense, quite a bit higher adjusted ownership than the actual ownership. Uh, sport like baseball is probably the best sport to look at for this here. Um, and actually let's just do that. Where you'll see batters will have a much higher adjusted ownership um, than their actual ownership 
and pitchers will be very close. So if we look at batters here, um, and let's look at the chalkiest batters here. Yeah, so uh, Dodgers and Blue Jays, right? Their adjusted ownership is coming in a fair bit higher than their actual ownership because hitters in baseball are very high variance. But if we look at some of the chalkiest pitchers here, a lot of times eh, it's a little bit higher as well. But a lot of times it's a lot closer because pitchers are, are lower variance. So um, one note on that is that is really for Sabre score, adjusted ownership. Adjusted ownership is a way to make just the ownership calculation into Sabre score a little more accurate in terms of how you actually want to navigate ownership, right? Ownership is not bad in a vacuum. It is bad when the player is over or under owned relative to their, their expectation, I guess. So it's, it's valued into Sabre score. It's, it's not a part of contest sims directly because contest sims are using a field rather than an ownership projection. Like what Sabre score is trying to approximate with adjusted ownership, contest sims is really just calculating in a more precise way with the actual field lineups. So um, that's really, it's important for Sabre score, less important for contest sims. Uh, AK Knowledge said following up, um, would you do the 10% min own or just kick up their projections and let the sim sort it? Um, there's pros and cons to both. I think, uh, adjusting up by 10% or adjusting a projection up by some value is a little bit more flexible, like offering that up to the Sims and saying, Hey, I kind of want to get a little bit more of this guy. What if his projection is off by 10% to the negative? And I like, now what do my lineups look like? I think that's, that's a little bit more of a flexible approach, but it's not a direct approach. So if you're decided that you want exposure to a particular player, it might just be easier to just set them in exposure and say, give me some lineups with this guy. But if you want to kind of experiment a little bit more and see like how, if this player was projected for 10% more, what would be the impact on my lineups? It can be a little more useful that way. So it, it's kind of personal preference there. So. Um, Steven said, Jordan, I heard Nerdy Tenor and others try to reduce variance in their 150 set by running contest sims against their created pool of lineups. Any thoughts behind this? To clarify, they figure out their best lineups versus the field. Then they take a step further and sim their performance of their 150 set against their pool. That's interesting. Um, man, I will almost certainly have to think on that a little bit more. The, the challenge of actually doing that is that's interesting because what I'm picturing here is, so let's say you have your pool, you have your 5,000 and you send that against a field and from there, maybe you identify some set of candidate lineups that you're willing to use. That's Wait, that's interesting. Let's try this. Um, what I'm thinking is that the more similar that set of candidate lineups is to each other, the more, the less likely the most similar lineups from that pool are likely to be similar to one another. Because the more similar those lineups are, like for the same reason... 
I, I'm realizing how all over the place I, I sound. You guys got to stay with me here because I, I had never thought about this here before. But basically, the more similar a set of lineups in your pool of potentially profitable lineups are, the less likely those lineups are to grade out well when simmed against your pool. Let's try this. That's really interesting. Um, and I want to see the impact of this here. So let's run one for fun here. Um, I had never thought about this and now I'm very intrigued. So we will set up, let's do a basic one here. Um, and I'm going to bring, I want, I want like a really tight pool here. So I'm going to bring some of these in, um, to a couple different specific stack types here. Okay. Let's build this and then let's do 150. This is a cool idea. <clears throat> what I'm imagining here is you run two contest sims. And the first one is to basically figure out what is your set of lineups that you're willing to play. And then you trim out all of the lineups that you're not willing to play. And then sim that against itself. And I just kind of want to see what that looks like. Um, I might be just like thinking about this the wrong way, um, but I like the idea of it a lot. I'm curious, Stephen, as well, like where where you heard this, because um, I, I think the idea of this is pretty cool. So let's let this build and uh, take a look. It'll take a second to do this because we're gonna have to we're gonna have to finalize the lineups, sim it, then X out some lineups, and then sim it again. But James has been doing this, so I just didn't get the memo. Everybody else is already doing this. Okay, so one thing I want to do is kind of like keep track of this as we're going. So let's set up the contest sim and let's do Okay, so we'll just assume we're doing it for the flagship and run the contest sim here. And see what our ROIs look like. I'm envisioning like wanting to be somewhat aggressive with the way that you filter lineups on the first contest sim that gets run and maybe eliminate lineups that like don't at least have like a 50% ROI or maybe 100% ROI, at least in the, the sim. Um, but yeah, while this is working, I'm going to try to better articulate the way I understand of why this works, right? So in the initial contest sim that we just ran, this is comparing your lineups to the field, right? To basically find inefficiencies there, right? We're saying like, there's not enough of this kind of lineup in the pool for there's not enough of this kind of lineup in the field for how often this kind of lineup is likely to be successful, right? Sure enough, look who pops up in the first build we ran. Remember we were talking about CD Lamb being under-owned a second ago? There's the DAC-CD Lamb combo, right? We're saying this combination isn't represented in the field enough, and that's why it's grading out very well by ROI. But the problem we had mentioned earlier in the stream is that can sometimes lead you to very high variance, very risky approaches to what types of lineups you're playing, right? And let's see if we can see any players like that. Right. We have 
73% Miles Sanders, 58% Keenan Allen, right? Maybe we're very, a little over, but 42% Quentin Johnson at 6% owned, right? Or maybe a little over aggressive here, right? That's kind of the problem by sorting ROI that, that you can resolve a bit by looking at min uniques. But what is interesting here and what I'm like, the thought I'm having here is if you filter out lineups and only look at a profitable set of your pool, right? Um, so let's say ROI greater than 100, what does that do? That leaves us with 700. So let's say these 700 lineups are the lineups that I'm willing to play. Now, the question I have though is, and I genuinely don't know the answer to this. If a lineup is trashed, it doesn't, it shouldn't show up in the contest sim, I don't think. So we're, we might have to experiment with this. Let's try now to sim this lineup, these lineups against themselves. So self sim. And what this will do is it will say, now, like if a particular construction doesn't show up very often in my 744, it's going to get a boost in the sim of these lineups against each other, right? And lineups that are very similar to each other are going to be competing with each other in the contest sim. Um, so let's try that. So let's try the self-sim now. The one thing, though, is I'm, I, this is just a Saberson side of this. I'm trying to think because we want to make sure that these lineups like don't come back. So I actually think what we need to do is we need to create a we need to create an yeah. Steven said you can export the lineups that you're willing to play and upload them as a new build. We could do that. That's probably the easiest, at least for now. So let's take those. I think you could also create a custom metric that is the original ROI and filter by the custom metric instead of the ROI. Um, but this will work as well. So let's upload these now. Which is a cool feature. If you guys haven't seen that before, you can upload, you can basically create a brand new blank build and seed it with lineups from wherever, from a different build, from a build on a different optimizer, whatever you want. So now let's, okay, so let's self-sim these now, uh, but I need to sim these against build three. And now let's see. And what I, I, I'm expecting, I'm not sure, if this is going to happen, but I would expect that we get a more diversified set of these lineups out of this. Um, Self-sim ROI. And now, I mean, it's already more diverse, but now let's look at our 150. Uh, I mean, it definitely smoothed it out. Like we're not as exposed to Keenan Allen and Miles Sanders. I mean, there's a limit to how diversified it can get purely because there's a ton of lineups in the pool that have these players in them anyway, but it does seem like it had a little bit of a smoothing effect here. So it's kind of interesting. I, I will probably play more with this um, because I mean, the nice thing is again, we know that we are like, we know that these lineups were all graded as profitable Um when we first 
ran the build. So we know that they're, they're in theory profitable played into the contest they're going into, but now we're, we're picking like a pool of lineups that is diversified against itself. So, or I guess a better way of thinking it is we are punishing lineups in the pool here that are all very similar to each other by means of contest simming them against themselves. So I, I like the idea. I think it is cool. Um, and I will probably play with it more. So. Um, I did quickly just want to jump here. Question from uh, Murith. Missed this one. And then we'll, we're going to have to start to wrap up here um, for today. But can you talk about how to find possible hidden gems for tournament entry? So honestly, like what we were just talking about before of looking at the uh, upside of a player, comparing upside in the form of player percentiles to the ownership is like, I think the best way to start thinking about this kind of stuff. So the way that I've always done this is I'll take like the 95th percentile of a player and I'll do this by position. So we did, we did wide receivers a minute ago. So let's look at running backs instead. And I'll kind of just start to look like amongst players with similar upside, who starts to stand out as players that maybe are under owned relative to what they can do on the slate. And there's a lot of times there's, there's plenty of different reasons for this. A lot of times it's salary or the way that the lineups tend to, where's, where is there a certain value on a particular slate? But you'll find that there are often these gaps of players that look like they're going to have very high upside on a slate that the field just isn't getting to. And you, you can see them very quickly, right? Just looking at this list. Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, DeAndre Swift kind of seem like guys who are under-owned relative to their upside of what they are scoring when they when they go off, when they have their 95th percentile outcome, right? And I think... Again, that, that's not to say you should just do this for every position and build the lineup that is every player that's under-owned at every position. But if you wanted to, we saw a second ago, C.D. Lamb looked under-owned, and then he popped in some of our top ROI lineups when we ran the contest sim, right? Um, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, DeAndre Swift, similar guys where uh, it looks like there's upside there, and it looks like they're, they're under-owned. So those might be guys that, you know, when you go and then run your build, like you could go through and do this for quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end and say, okay, I kind of want to get some exposure to these guys. And then when you run your build, have your list, compare your results of your build to your list and say, am I getting some exposure here? Do I want to get some? Maybe I give, you know, you, the nice thing about guys that are very low owned is you don't need a lot of exposure to get over the field, right? Maybe maybe a min exposure of 10% to Austin Eckler gives you some leverage there uh, on a high total game. Guy that coming back from injury looks like the field maybe is going to ignore a little bit here. Um, so that's kind of my favorite way to find hidden gems as you've described it here um we can also quarterback let's see if quarterback jumps out at all quarterback is a little bit harder because um ownership of quarterback tends to just kind of spread out in general so a lot of times you don't find these guys as easy you can see we're like pretty spread out here um uh, but maybe tua looks kind of interesting right oh are we sorting that 95th right kind of an interesting maybe kirk cousins too um but I think especially at the skill positions, running back and wide receiver in particular, it gives you some names to look at. So again, when we were doing this for wide receiver a minute ago, um, the two that really jumped out to me were Justin Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb. You can go further down here, Olave, AJ Brown, you can keep going. But um, just looking for those gaps, right, where 
oh, I keep doing that, where you would expect a player to be higher owned relative to how high their upside is, and they just aren't. And a lot of times it comes from the fact that there is, um, there's either like a narrative there where, you know, Austin Eckler coming back from injury might be a good example there, or a salary discrepancy, right? Where a player um, is just a little overpriced relative to their average projection, but their upside is really high. So um, tight end, the pool generally is just a little, like there's less players in the pool. And a lot of times a value tight end gets very chalky, like Zach Ertz this week. It's a little harder to do for tight end, but I like it a lot for, for running back and wide receiver. So, but cool. Um, I think we are uh, all caught up on questions here. I do need to, to run for now. I will be back on office hours again tomorrow, same time, two o'clock Eastern. Um, so come join me, come hang out again tomorrow. Uh, I'll be on on Monday as well. And then you guys will have Andrew back for the rest of next week. Uh, good luck in the showdown tonight. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed the stream. Um, if you are here and you're not subscribed to Sabersim, we have a free five-day trial on our site, sabersim.com. So get signed up for a trial. Check it out for the showdown tonight. Check it out for the NFL slate on Sunday. Um, get the last couple regular season baseball slates of the year in there. Um, and yeah, in the meantime, good luck and see you everybody. Thanks.